Let's turn to the book of Philemon, and today I'm going to be reading verses 8 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. In Christ's name, amen. Author Wendell Berry speaks of how divorce describes the state of our world. We're divorced from our history, from the land, and from one another. Things that should be whole are split apart. When asked what we should do about this sad fact, Barry said, We can't put everything back together. We just take two things and put them together. We take two things that have been broken apart and make them one again. Of course, the most important things that need to be put together are our relationship with God, first of all, and our relationships with others. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and it can mean soundness, health, well-being, wholeness. Shalom is taking what's broken and making it whole. The Apostle Paul is acting here as a peacemaker in the book of Philemon, and he gives us an excellent example of how we can become peacemakers. The truth is, it is much easier to create a rift uh, and divide uh, relationships than it is to make peace. The Bible urges us in Hebrews 12:14 to pursue peace with all people. And Romans 12:18 says, if it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There are many things that could be said about being an effective peacemaker. This morning we'll look at three things that we learn from the Apostle Paul as he seeks to encourage peace between Philemon and his runaway slave Onesimus. By way of review, remember that Philemon was a friend of Paul's that he led to Christ, and he was probably a leader in the church of Colossae. Onesimus was the slave of Philemon who had stolen from him and run away to Rome where he heard the gospel from Paul and was converted to Christ. Now Paul, in this section, is seeking to bring Onesimus and Philemon back together, not merely as master and slave, but as brothers in Christ. As we observe Paul in this process of peacemaking, the first thing we learn is that peacemakers make appeals through love rather than sheer authority. Peacemakers make appeals through love rather than an exercise of authority. Paul was an apostle in the church. There was no one with higher authority in the church at that time than an apostle. Paul had apostolic authority, but he declined to use that authority and there are times, of course, to use authority in the church. God's given the elders authority and Hebrews 13:17 says we must obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. 
the elders must occasionally use that authority in the exercise of church discipline. However, this authority is not to be abused. For example, Jesus said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires become great among you shall be your servant. And the Apostle Peter says that elders must shepherd God's flock, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So Paul, being an elder and an apostle, yet he chose in this situation with Philemon and Onesimus to make a humble appeal rather than order Philemon to do something. The question is, how do we know when to use the authority God's given us and when not to do so? Well, every situation has to be assessed and evaluated. And in this particular situation, Paul knew the character of Philemon. He knew of Philemon's love toward God and his faith in Christ. He saw Philemon's love for God's people and his labor for the Lord. He knew that Philemon was more inclined to want to do the will of God than to resist the will of God. And he could therefore make use of a brotherly appeal and could trust that Philemon would do the right thing. Paul said, yet for love's sake, i rather appeal to you. I don't think he's referring to his own love or Philemon's love here, but rather to the principle of love itself. And love, you see, ought to guide all that we say and do. Ephesians 4, uh, Paul urges us to bear with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace in that same epistle, he goes on to say that we should speak the truth in love and that we are to walk in love. Let me ask you this morning, if people looked at your life, particularly your interactions with others, would they come away saying that what characterizes those interactions is love? If you ask what love is, I would simply send you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, for reflection, I would send you to the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that sent him to die in the place of sinners instead of sending us to hell. We, we need to know what love looks like, and we also need to consider what it doesn't look like. I was reading a devotional this week from Our Daily Bread titled Relationship Under Repair, and it started out asking this question, are you easy to get along with? And do you have good relationship with your spouse and your friends? If you don't, then you're probably guilty of some of the following behaviors. And here's a list for you and I, a checklist to see how we're doing. Those who are uh, guilty of uh, disrupting relationships are usually fond of criticizing instead of praising. They use insensitive words. Uh, they neglect others. They make jokes at another's expense. Uh, they're not listening. They're refusing to admit wrong. They are typically rude and belittle the opinions of others. By way of contrast, the Apostle Paul in the letter Philemon demonstrates ways in which we ought to repair broken relationships and build good relationships. Though at times we have to be firm and we know that sometimes love must be tough, the usual expressions of love are noted by 
kindness, encouragement, patience, gentleness, lifting up rather than tearing down. If you and I would be peacemakers, secondly, in these verses, we learn that peacemakers are to appeal to the love, to the compassion in others in order to promote peace. The fact is you and I live in a fallen world. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. And one thing we can expect in a fallen world is that others will mistreat us. We will be wronged. We will be hurt. And we will at times be mistreated. These things uh, can make us very jaundiced toward others. And there's wisdom in being wary and not trusting people at times. If we expect the worst in others, we won't be disappointed. And if they do good, then we can be pleasantly surprised. However, especially when we're dealing with other believers, Paul shows us the power of making an appeal to the compassion, to the good in others when asking them to do something. You see, believers are not like unbelievers. Yes, we're all sinners, but something has changed in the believer. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have been justified and they have peace with God. It also says that the love of God has been poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, when there is a conflict or potential conflict between believers in Christ, we know that if an individual is a believer, a true believer, then God's love dwells in that person's heart. And therefore, we are right to make an appeal to love, to that compassion we know is there, even if it might be hidden or buried at that moment. Paul appealed to the love that Philemon possessed uh, as a Christian. And in verse 9, he first appealed to the generic principle of love. And now in verses 9 and 10, he is appealing uh, in particular to the love that was in Philemon's heart. He said to Philemon, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see, Philemon was converted through Paul's ministry and they developed a close bond in Christ and had served together in the cause of the gospel. And he is, is simply reminding Philemon that if he had any love for Paul, any compassion uh, for him in his circumstances, he would be moved to do whatever he could for Paul. Paul was nearing the end of his life. He had served the Lord faithfully, and that's why he was in prison. And surely such a man, such a friend uh, to Philemon, who had sacrificed so much for Christ and for Philemon himself uh, because he brought the gospel to him, such a man, such a friend ought to be helped if he asked for some assistance. Uh, and Paul next appeals to Philemon uh, to have compassion on his slave, uh, Onesimus, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I've begotten while in my chains. Uh, perhaps uh, Philemon wasn't feeling very loving towards his runaway slave at this point. Uh, and, and, and yet, uh, even though we can understand that, Paul uh, refers to him as my son. He was a criminal indeed, but Paul says he's my son. Uh, and the reason he could say that is because Onesimus became a child of God and a son in the faith to Paul through uh, his conversion. Paul is saying to Philemon, in effect, you've shown love to all the saints. Now, here is another saint uh, for you to love. Onesimus was Philemon's slave, but now he was Philemon's brother in the faith. 
In verse 12, Paul said, I'm sending him back to you, therefore receive him who is as my own offspring. Philemon was legally within his rights to uh, to reject this rebellious slave and punish him. Uh, but Paul urged him to receive him. Just as an aside, and we will probably look at this in more detail later, but Paul didn't say uh, to Philemon, Philemon, slavery is wrong and no Christian should own a slave. Uh, slavery should be outlawed. No, Paul didn't say that. Uh, he says, receive Philemon, uh, receive Onesimus uh, back and love him as a brother. Now, it may have implied uh, setting him free. And as I said, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But Paul receiving Ones I mean, Philemon receiving Onesimus back uh, as his slave and as his brother in Christ uh, reminds us that we need to be willing to receive those who come to Christ from backgrounds and lifestyles that are perhaps different from our own, that were perhaps very wayward. And, and no matter, you see, what a person has done or what kind of lifestyle they have lived, when they're converted to Christ, you and I need to receive them and welcome them into our lives, into our church, and love them as, as new members of the family of God. And so the reception of Onesimus by Philemon uh, was something that, that he was obligated to do as a Christian, but also would have had a great impact uh, on the Christian community there in Colossae. And perhaps uh, on the larger community, people would have seen uh, this reconciliation and uh, perhaps they would have inquired further about this Christian faith on account of that. Well, something similar happened in our own country in the 1970s, an awakening. Uh, and recently released film called The Jesus Revolution tells the, the story. It's a true story of a young man named Greg Laurie, who's still living today. He's, he's still uh, an evangelist today, but he was raised by a struggling single mother. And Laurie and a sea of young people descended on sunny Southern California to experiment with psychedelic drugs and to pursue sexual liberation. And, and Laurie was one of those young people, and, and, and he met a man named Lonnie Frisbee, who was a charismatic hippie street preacher. And he also met Pastor Chuck Smith, who opened the doors of his church to a stream of wandering lost youth. And what unfolded became what some have described as one of the greatest spiritual awakenings in American history. Jesus told us that all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And so, of course, the church ought to rejoice to receive sinners, to call sinners to repent, and to see them turn to Christ and put their faith in him. And so we need to have compassion for the lost, for sinners who need the Lord. Uh, and are we willing uh, to tell them about Jesus? Are we willing to get involved? and then to receive them and love them when they come to know Christ. Are we, in other words, willing to be peacemakers on behalf of sinners by preaching to them the gospel of peace? Well, lastly, this morning, if you and I would be peacemakers, we learned that peacemakers can appeal to the advantages gained through reconciliation. 
Paul said, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who once was unprofitable for you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Well, if you're in business, you want to make a profit. If you don't care about making a profit, you won't be in business for long. And Philemon might have wondered, what profit or use would it be to take back a thieving runaway slave? If you took Onesimus back, would he steal again and run away a second time? No, says Paul, this time will be different because Onesimus is a different man. The new Onesimus is useful, said Paul. Well, there's a play on words here in the Greek language. The, the name Onesimus means useful or profitable. And by his prior actions, Onesimus was not profitable to Philemon. But now in Christ, he was going to be very useful to him because he was a changed man. He would live up to his name. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of my favorite verses. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Believers in Christ become profitable in a number of different ways. First of all, they're no longer serving their old master who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And now they serve a new master who came to save and to give life. And since that is what their master, the Lord Jesus, is all about, that's also what they're about. Believers become profitable uh, to their spouses, to their families, because now the Spirit of God lives within them. And that's, the Holy Spirit is, is, uh, is the one who deposits and spreads that love uh, within our hearts. Believers become profitable to their employer because now uh, they become honest and sincere workers. And they become profitable to the church by joining it, giving to it, attending worship, and serving in it. So I would ask you this question today. Are you useful to God Are you and are you profitable to others? Uh, believers are called to be and will be as they are changed by God's grace. They will be useful. Uh, to God and to others. And the more holy, the more sanctified we are as Christians, the more useful we are. In 2 Timothy 2.21, Paul told Timothy that if anyone cleanses himself of that which is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So to the degree you and I are sanctified and set apart from sin, we will be useful to the Lord and his people. 19th century English pastor William Jay wrote the following. He said, divine grace never leaves us as it finds us. It destroys those vices that are injurious to others. Divine grace produces a change that is most wonderful and glorious and beneficial. You see, when God made a covenant with Abraham, this is what he said to him. He said, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. God saves us by his grace. Uh, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And why has he blessed us? Why did he bless you with salvation? Uh, so that you might be a blessing. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a king or you're a slave. God wants to make you useful for his kingdom. Paul appealed to Philemon to take Onesimus back 
because now he would be profitable, and he appealed to the advantages Philemon would receive if he did what Paul wanted him to do. Faith in Jesus Christ makes you and me profitable to others, but it also brings great profit to ourselves. Let me turn this uh, question to you. Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus this morning as your Lord, as your Savior? Do you know him? Uh, you ask, well, what advantage is it to me if I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior? What profit is it to follow Christ? Well, there is great profit. First, remember what Jesus said. He said, what shall it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? In other words, if you don't have Christ, you lose everything in the end. So there's no profit where you are without Christ. And the Bible says this, though, about godliness. It says godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. Today, if you are still lost and in your sins, I urge you to come to Christ and receive him. Call upon him to save your soul. Ask him to make you a new creation. Put your life in his powerful hands and he will make you useful to him and to everyone around you. Well, I'm acting the part of a peacemaker right now and I'm calling upon you to uh, to repent of your sins and to put your faith in Jesus so that you might have peace with God. And and I would ask you also if there's someone in your life that you need know that you need to go to to make peace. Uh, maybe you've sinned against them. Maybe they've sinned against you. Uh, but do you need to go and, and to try to reconcile and to uh, heal the relationship? Well, God wants to give you peace. He wants to make you a peacemaker. And he said, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Amen.